Well, hello, One Church. Pastor Conway, Sister Jada, thank you for the invitation to be with you this week and uh, celebrating all that God is doing uh, north, way north of Dallas. Uh, it is a joy to be uh, invited to be a part of your worship service and to be able to, uh, uh, to proclaim God's word. And it's a joy to call you my son and daughter in the faith, to uh, see you come together as, uh, as one, as a couple, and to see you join hands in ministry, to see you walk by my side, Conway, uh, for the years that you spent as my pastoral assistant, and to see you take wings along with your precious wife and now expanded family and fly, fly for the glory of God and the good of others is indeed a joy. And so to your flock, your family, immediate and extended, uh, I, I give thanks for you and I treasure you and I rejoice in you and I love you. And so I just want to say to you and your flock, God continue to bless you as you continue to serve him and as you continue to touch the lives of others for his glory and their good. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Now all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I don't know whether you've studied that story, but it is worth investigating the rhyme. Apparently there's a gentleman named Mr. Dumpty. Mr. Dumpty is moseying down the street one day. He seems to be doing okay. He comes to a wall and he begins to ascend it. And he arrives at the precipice. Mr. Dumpty is on top of the world. However, something goes cataclysmically wrong with Mr. Dumpty. He falls off. We don't have the particulars of what knocked him off, what distracted him, but it was a mighty fall because he broke into many pieces. His world was shattered. Now when you investigate the nursery rhyme a little closer, it is very intriguing to know where Mr. Dumpty went for help to get his life back on target. I mean, he didn't go to his family, he didn't go to his friends, he didn't go to the banker. Mr. Dumpty went to the White House. Now, we know he went to the White House because we're told that the king got involved. The king was so impressed by Mr. Dumpty's calamity, he called a meeting of Congress. Now, we know he called a meeting of Congress because all the king's men got involved. They did what Congress does. They, they passed a fix Mr. Dumpty law. I'm sure providing the necessary funds and stimulus to put Mr. Dumpty back together again. After all, it was widely known how shattered things had become. But the tragedy of the nursery rhyme is how it concludes. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The most powerful people in the land who had access to the grading funding potential in the society 
was unable, they were unable to fix the problem. I guess that tells me not only is Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty, but all the king's horses and all the king's men are just as Humpty Dumpty as Humpty Dumpty is because we've got a broken man and a broken system that's unable to fix the broken man whose world has been shattered. It doesn't take a genius today to see that Humpty Dumpty is shattered. In communities all over our nation, there is the shattering of hope and dreams of property and lives, of community and police, of uh, class warfare, cultural warfare, political warfare. And all the king's horses and all the king's men have not been able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Maybe they really don't understand why Mr. Dumpty, and therefore they, are in this situation they can't seem to fix. This calamity, this brokenness. One of my favorite old school groups was the Temptations and one of their songs in the psychedelic era was ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. And that's what we've got. We've got chaos in every single direction. And we got a health pandemic. We got a racial pandemic. <laughs> but if that's where all the king's horses and all the king's men, and even Mr. Dumpty, since he was banking on them, are looking to fix this crisis, they do not understand its origin. Beneath those two pandemics is a spiritual pandemic. And if you don't get that one fixed right, then you don't have the cultural glue necessary to make Mr. Dumpty whole again. The Bible makes it clear that everything physical and visible is preceded by that which is invisible and spiritual. So if you want to correct the visible physical, you must identify and address the invisible spiritual. Again, if all you see is what you see, you do not see all there is to be seen. The calamity that we're facing today is because there has been an unaddressed spiritual issue, first and foremost by the church, bleeding into the culture. And if we don't get it right, all the king's horses, and all the king's men won't be able to fix Mr. Dumpty's situation throughout our precious land. That's why I want to call your attention to an Old Testament passage in Genesis chapter 11. You know the story, it's the Tower of Babel. We're told in the opening verses that the whole earth used the same language and spoke with the same lip, that is, the same words. Now God had told them in chapter nine, I want you to scatter and fill the earth. That was the divine 
instruction. There was to be no globalization. There was to be the breakdown of nations so that they would be forced into divine dependency. That's what Acts chapter 17 says. But what they said as they journeyed east, let me just say a word about east. In the book of Genesis, east was to journey away from God. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were moved to the east. When Cain was removed from the presence of God, he traveled east. To travel east was to travel away from God. It says that they journeyed east, found a plant, land in Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, they began talking to each other. They had community meetings. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and use the bricks for stone and use them tar for mortar. Let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves, keep that in mind, a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, wait a minute. God said in chapter 9, the first couple of verses, I want you to scatter all over the earth. They said, no, 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 no. That's not how we roll up in here. We ain't going to do that. What we're going to do is consolidate our power and consolidate our purpose. And we're going to set up our own culture, our own meaning, and our own self-definition. They start with let us. Now I know what he said, but this is about what we say, because this is a us situation. Right? I got what God told us to do, but that ain't how, that ain't how we feeling it right now. That's not, that's not how it's, it's operating inside our gizzard. We, we not, we not feeling that. So we're going to consolidate our purpose and our power, and we're going to build a civilization, watch this, that will erase the creator-creature distinction. We, we're going to, we're going <laughs> We're going to remove this divine oversight and mandate and we're going to set the rule for how civilization, culture, and government will operate. We're going to set the rules. So let us come up with our own plan independently of divine purpose. And so they took bricks and they used tar that would be the technology of the day. They would use technology, the one that they had, to advance civilization so that God would be no longer necessary. They would pool their power, their resources, and they were going to build a world that was independent of divine instruction. And so they began this process <laughs> Whenever you use technology to create independence, you have joined the rebellion of Satan. In fact, governments that try to consolidate universal power are really joining Satan and the Antichrist because that is the system of the Antichrist according to Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 to 18, 
when the whole world economy would be controlled by him and the Antichrist would set up the agenda. It was an agenda independent of the scattering God called for to create national dependency. So they said, let us, let us do some building. We're going to get on a building program. Let's see what they're going to build, verse 4. They're going to, first of all, build a city. They're going to build a city. This would be the capital of the human race. Because remember, they're not spreading out. They got one capital, one city that's going to control the, all the us's. They say, let us build civilization without God. That's called humanism. Humanism is where man seeks to replace God to define life and its meaning, its purpose, and its responsibility. It is erasing the creature-creation distinction. But we know people need religion. So we're not only going to build a city, we're going to build, verse 4 says, a tower. That's a ziggurat. That's a staircase to heaven. We're going to build a tower whose top will reach the heavens. In other words, we're going, we're going to use the creation to define us. We're going to get up into the clouds. We're going to get up into to astrology. We're going to get up into uh, zodiac signs. We're going to have a religious order that satisfies this human need to believe in something bigger, but it won't be to the point where we have to depend on a creator. We're going we're gonna to erase that distinction. It won't be God telling us what to do. It'll be us going up because we're going to define reality now. That distinction of God being in charge, that distinction of in God we trust, that distinction of one nation under God, oh, no, no, uh-uh. We're going to let the universities in this city, <laughs> we're going to create a doctrine that makes God unnecessary, whether it's evolution, whether it's uh, uh, just a man's spark of divinity, whether it's uh, materialism and greed, whether it's technological advancement or medical advancement. We, gonna, we, we can do this thing. We can do this thing without him. We can foster our independence while still having a religious center which will justify our rebellion. And the worst thing you can do in front of Almighty God is have a religious order that gives sanction to leaving him out. <laughs> because you're praying, because you're going to church, because you're, uh, you know, you're bowing your head, or because you use his name for invocations and benedictions as long as he stays out of the material in between. So they wanted to build civilization, a city. They wanted to build a tower, a religious order that went from earth to heaven rather than from heaven back down to earth. And then here's the clincher. They said, we're going to make for ourselves, verse 4, a name. Mm. We don't want to be named. We're going to get our own name. In the Bible, to be named is to be defined and to be governed. When God told Adam to name all the animals, he was setting him in governance and responsibility over the animals that he named because he told them to subdue the earth. That's why God would change the name because he's changing the identity and establishing the governance. 
I've done my share of weddings over the years. And in every wedding, the wife changed her last name. If a couple came to me and the wife says, I refuse to change my last name, I wouldn't be the one doing the ceremony. Because if after I explain what naming means in the Bible, which is why Adam named Eve, he named Eve because he would be responsible for her and govern her well-being. If she refused to take his name, I'd tell the man, this is not the girl for you because you're getting rebellion before you even go on the honeymoon. Oh, see, to change the name is not changing nomenclature. It was signifying I am not going to be defined by this relationship. I want my sovereignty. I want my independence. And I want more, watch this, my immortality. Why? Because you pass on a name. You pass on a name. That's why fathers want sons, so they can, they can be immortalized by the name. Men do not want to be defined by God. They want to be defined not by theocracy, but homocracy. Homocracy is the rule of man. Theocracy is the rule of God. And we're living in a day when men want homocracy. They do not want a God rule. And so they want their own name. They want their own rebellion. They want their own independence. Those of you who have teenagers, knows, you know what this feels like, don't you? They get in that in-between age, you know, 13 to 18. And the problem is, they don't want to be told what to do now. They don't, they don't want to be bossed around. They don't want you, mom and daddy, getting on their nerves. Now, the problem with their demand or desire for independence is they're broke. <laughs> They don't have any money. They can't pay their bills. They can't buy their food. They can't buy their clothes. They can't put gas in the car. But they don't want you telling them what to do. So they are dependent while demanding independence. What does that give you? I'll tell you what it gives you. A conflict. It's going to be a conflict. And it must be a conflict. When they are depending on you, but don't want to abide by the guidelines you set. Something has got to give. Well, they were demanding their independence because they were demanding their name. <laughs> what they wanted was to imitate God without yielding to him. What you and I are seeing today in our broken culture is a culture that has been progressively imitating deity defining themselves. You hear it every day. I think, I feel, this is what, what my friends say, they are defining themselves. Your kids are being raised in institutions of self-definition where truth has been jettisoned to the curb, where right and wrong has been redefined and now right has become wrong and wrong has become right. Where people are getting to choose their own identity different than what God calls them in the name of an illegitimate definition of freedom. Oh, you see, people want their own name. 
The problem is they still depended upon a creator. <laughs> you know, if God takes some oxygen away, the party's over. Everything anybody does depends on something he's already created. All they're doing is rearranging his creation to, pro to produce more technology and benefit. No, what you see here is uh, cosmic rebellion. That can happen with an individual. It can happen with a rebellious family that decides we're going to run the family. A rebellious husband, who he, he's going to decide who a husband is and what a husband does and he refuses to submit to the rule of God, a rebellious wife, a rebellious kids, a rebellious state house, governor house, white house, house of Congress. You can, you can, you can pick the category, but what they want is a self-name. So they rebelled against God's clear instruction because they were demanding their in dependence. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and tower which the sons of men had built. No, you didn't. Did you hear that? God came down. Well, wait a minute. Last time I checked, men were building up. And I it says they were going up to heaven. They were going to invade God's space. God looked down, saw them building up, and he came down. Listen, no matter how high you think you're going, God still got to come down because you're not going to get but so high. You, you ain't all that individually and you're not all that America. We're seeing that now, right? We, we ain't all that and a bag of chips. A little virus breaks in here and doesn't matter how much money you have, where you live and, and uh, how much power you possess and what influence you, you, you have because that virus will shut you down and will, will lock you in your house and make you wear a mask because God's got to come down. You, we, we're not all that. We have to... <laughs> I, don't, I said it to my kids. I'm sure you parents have said it to yours. You, you, you don't know your place. You, you don't understand your place. You, 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 didn't, you didn't forgot who I am and you have forgotten who you are in relation to who I am. God had to come down. He says, let us see. The, the Hebrew word here means to investigate. Now, when God investigates, it's not informational because he's omniscient, which means there's, there's nothing he doesn't already know all aspects of because he's the only one who knows everything about everything that's knowable and he's the only one who can answer what if questions. He says, let's investigate what, uh, what, what these folks are up to in this city, this capital of civilization and this tower, this religious order that the sons of men have built. Let's, let's, check, let's check them out. The Lord said, now here is a stinger, verse 6. Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language. They all talk in the same smack. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that ought to, that ought to mess with you. Here's the creator of the universe saying, these folk have gotten together. And if they stay together, they will be unstoppable. How could God say that the unity of mankind in rebellion against him could potentially be unstoppable unless he interrupts it? Why, why would he even think a thought like that? Well, time will not allow me to get into all the theology of it, but I can make it pretty simple. Genesis 1 God says, we will create man in our own image. And he said, let them rule. God delegated the rule of history and planet earth to mankind. Watch this, for good or for bad. He says, we're going to release them the rule and we're going to do like we did with Adam and Eve in the garden. We're going to give them a choice. They can rule with me and under me, tree in the midst of the garden, that they don't touch, or they can rule in rebellion against me, tree in the midst of the garden, if they do touch. If they rule under me, I'll give them freedom. Every tree of the garden you may freely eat. First word of freedom doesn't come from American uh, fathers of our uh, Declaration of Independence or our Constitution. Oh no, freedom comes from God. Every tree of the garden you may freely eat. You were created to be legitimately free as God defines freedom, but you will only experience that freedom under my rule. But now if you go out here thinking you all that in a bag of chips and you go and you mess with my revelation, which is that tree in your den, the tree in the den of your house, you go eating that and you will see bondage like you've never seen it before. God says, if they become unified independently of us because we have let them rule, then as far as earth is concerned, they will be unstoppable. Unstoppable in what? In their rebellion and the damage they can do. You know what you're watching in America today and maybe in our families today and not maybe in our families today in our individual lives today in our social structures today, you're watching what it looks like when folk get together to rebel against God. That's what you're watching. That's called a spiritual pandemic. So let us go down and let them know they're not all that. Let us go down and let's show them who we are versus who they think they are. Come, let us go down, verse 7, and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. We're going to bring about a ball of confusion. That's what the temptations called it. We're going to set things in motion so that they will not be able to communicate in any meaningful way. What we have today between Democrats and Republicans, between blacks and whites, between police and community is brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we have a failure to communicate. Oh, we hear and talk, but we're not understanding each other's language. Why? Because God confused their language. 
did you, did you, did you, 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 you didn't miss that, did you? God confused their language. It's called Corona, COVID-19. It's called racial conflict. It's divinely ordained disruption and confusion. You say, God does that? He absolutely does. And he does it all through the Bible when his creation gets too big for their britches. We've gotten too big for our britches. Christians have gotten too big for their britches. Preachers have gotten too big for our britches. Churches have gotten too big for their britches. Educational institutions have gotten too big for their britches. Communities have gotten too big for their britches. Civil servants have gotten too big for their britches. God says, okay, hello. Let's send them some confusion. Let's put them in a confusing situation. Let's put them in a situation that they can't make work out. Let's create a panic. What happened? So the Lord scattered them, verse 8, abroad from over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, they called Babel because the Lord confused their language of the whole earth. Did I, did, did I just say the whole earth? Is the whole earth being affected by this health pandemic? And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, wait a minute, he just said that. In verse 9, he says it twice. <laughs> he says, the Lord, don't miss this, me, me. If you want to blame somebody, it's me. It, I mean, I mean, it's me. God says, if you want to know why you got this problem, if you want to know why you can't fix all this social crisis, it's me. So you can have all the meetings you want, you can have all the planning you want, you can have all the laws you want, you can have all the uh, economic stimulus you want, it's me. He says, and I scattered them. Oh, wait a minute, don't, don't go too fast. You did what, God? I scattered them. Well, why do you want to do that? Because I gave them the choice in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, to do what I told them to do. They said they weren't going to do it. They were going to do it that way. So guess what? I'm going to stifle their economy. It says they stopped building. I'm going to stifle their progress. They ain't not going to be able to go to work. I'm going to stifle their, uh, their, their, their unity. They're going to be fighting each other because they can't communicate. I'm going to stifle this. I'm going to shut this mama down. I'm going to let them know it's me. And when I do that, Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get what I was going for in the first place because I told them to scatter. So they weren't, because they weren't willing to do it my way, I'm going to make them do it my way. Because God, heaven rules, Daniel 4 says. You have a decision and you, can, you and I can get the consequences of our decisions, but there comes a point when God comes down and he says, y'all have gone too long, too far, too much. My father had to put my brother out of the house. He was a wrestler, unlimited weight, Maryland state champion wrestler. And he got too big for his britches. 
He was in my father's house, but he didn't want to go by my father's rules. He's big, he's bad. My father said, you can't, you can't, you can't stay here if you don't do what I say. He said, well, no, I'm not going to do it. So my father put him out, went up, got the suitcase, started packing it. Then my brother started going to get stuff. My father said, no, 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 you can't take that. You didn't buy that. Put him out. Problem is, it was the dead of winter, freezing outside. <laughs> and he didn't have all that money. It wasn't long before he knocked on the door, apologizing. You see, God had to create a situation. Like my dad created a situation to remind my brother, you big and bad, but you ain't all that. God is telling America right now, and he may be telling you in your situation, personally, you're not all that. Your money can't fix this. Your power can't fix this. Your notoriety can't fix this. Why? I'm the only one who can fix this. And I'm, I'm not going to let you fix it like you wanted to be fixed until you understand heaven rules. Now, God in mercy does come through sometimes that he doesn't give us all our sin deserves. And I pray that he will be merciful to us with this disease, merciful to us with this racial tension. I pray that he will be merciful to us. But even if he's merciful, if you don't get, get the message, he's just going to come back around another way. One time it was 9-11. This time it's covert and community confusion. I mean, I mean, God has a zillion options to disturb our common goals. They had a common goal, unity. Isn't that a common goal? God doesn't want unity apart from him. He don't want unity that leaves him out. He wants unity that's centered in him. Do you know how miserable you are when you can't find your phone? <laughs> that's a miserable thing, isn't it? You're looking all over the place for your phone. You know why? Because your phone has become your life. Your phone is not just in your hand. It is your life. I, I, I've watched myself, I've watched my family, and I've watched strangers. You see my phone? You see my phone? I can't find my phone. Where's my phone? Oh, Lord, my phone. Why? Because that phone defines your life. We've lost God. We've lost God. And so everything else seems out of order. Everything else seems challenging. Everything else seems that we, we just, we're just not feeling right because everything else has been disturbed till you find that phone. And when you find that phone, you go, oh, oh, oh. It is time for the church to lead the way to relocate our God because Acts 17 says he's not far from any one of us. Verse 26, 27, he's not far from any one of us. He says, if you just grope for him, just, just, just grope for him, he's findable. You ever lost your phone and it was right next to you? I lost my phone. I was panicking. I asked my kids, where my phone? Can't find my phone. Got them all looking for my phone. They're looking under, over, looking at everything. An hour later, my phone was in my pocket. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. My phone was in my pocket. 
It was closer than I could ever imagine. But because I lost sight of my relationship to it, it was close and it might as well have been a million miles away. God wants us to run back to him, to return to him. And he says, if you run to me, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, starting with my people. Because if my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, now we can talk about fixing the land. And the land needs to be fixed. Church, it's our time. God has created a divine disruption because he's giving us a last chance at a divine reset. We better take advantage of it and advance his kingdom agenda, pursuing a relationship that submits to his rule. Pursuing a relationship, intimacy with our great God while simultaneously coming underneath his authority and not doing what they did at the tower and rebel. May God give us another chance to rally around his kingdom purpose and to find healing in the land because we're not operating independently of him. And one of, the, one of the simple ways you can express your dependency is communion. Take a moment to get your cup or to get your juice and bread and just reiterate, God, I, you know, here I am. I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered, hands up. I'm surrendered to you. You're gonna define my reality. You're gonna define my relationships. You're gonna define my resources. You're gonna define my engagement. You will define me. You'll define my politics. You'll define my sociology. You'll define my science. When anything disagrees with you, it has to be adjusted, not you. Communion is an act of surrender. Where you say what Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. This won't make you the most popular person in the world, but it will get God on your side. America, with all of its flaws, was born in uniqueness. The problem was not with the documents. The problem was with the application of the documents. Because it was a freedom document. Men were created equal by a divine creator. Doesn't get any better than that. The application was flawed. God doesn't want us just believing the right things. He's wanting us to apply the right things that we believe based on what he said. Communion is saying, I surrender. Why? Because he surrendered when he died on the cross and said, I will surrender to Good Friday because I believe God's got me on Sunday morning. That my crucifixion is going to wind up to be a resurrection and God can resurrect us out of this mess by his work on the cross through his son. Shall we eat together? His blood 
That deals with the sin problem because all this stuff is sin. The skin thing is because there's a sin thing. You solve the sin thing, then you'll handle the skin thing or class thing or gender thing, whatever the thing is that's disobeying God. And when we repent, the internal determination to turn from sin, ah, you'll see the blood doing its cleansing work. Shall we drink together? And so, Father, we thank you that we have the risen living Christ standing with us before us. And we'll give you the glory for what you're going to do in restoring our nation and restoring our lives by removing our rebellion. May we get a generation of Christians who've got the guts to go public with their identification with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.